you become a Christian when you receive God's grace gift of salvation through repentance and faith. And when you become a Christian, what you are saying then, what you're confessing is that Jesus is Lord. And that means that you're going to begin to follow Jesus. It means you're going to obey Jesus. Being a Christian means I'm a follower of Jesus, means that I am living my life seeking to obey Jesus. Being a Christian means that I'm going to try to do what Jesus wants me to do. Well, how then do we know what Jesus wants us to do? Suppose you go to work tomorrow morning and one of your co-workers comes in and says, Jesus wants me to shoot all these people here. And you would say, no, no he doesn't. And he says, yes, Jesus wants me to shoot all these people. No, you would say, no, he, he doesn't. How do you settle that? How do you know what Jesus wants you to do? Well, as Christians, we believe this book, the Bible, is the revelation of Jesus and his will for our lives. This book, then, is the standard. It's the authority. This is the Word of God by which we learn after we've confessed Jesus as Lord of our lives what he wants us to do. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then this book, the revelation of God's Word, becomes the guide for us of what Jesus wants us to do. And so we submit to the Bible in the way we live and in what we believe. Now, why is that true and what's that going to mean for our lives? That's what we want to look at together today. So I want to direct your attention to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. 2 Timothy is a letter that the older pastor Paul wrote to a younger pastor, Timothy. Paul was in his 60s at this point. Timothy, maybe 30, early 30s. And Paul is instructing Timothy about the Christian life and ministry. And we're going to begin in verse 13 where he says, Timothy, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. He said, Timothy, you're going to be around some people that are evil, and that evil is going to degrade. It's going to go from bad to worse. We see some of that happening in our world. But then he says in verse 14, but as for you, but as for you. So Timothy, you're going to have to live a different life. You're going to have to sort of deviate from the norm and, the, and, and some of the culture because evil men are going to go from bad to worse. But as for you, chart a different course. What is that course? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. So the Christian life is becoming convinced of something and then continuing in that direction even while others peel off in other directions. Well, what did Timothy learn and who had he learned it from? It says in verse 15, And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. So Timothy had been raised in a godly home. The, book, the letter tells us earlier that he had a grandmother uh, who taught him the Word and a mother. He apparently didn't have a godly dad. You grow up in a home without 
godly parents, you can still serve the Lord. Timothy didn't have that perfect home, but he served the Lord. And his mother and his grandmother had taught him the scriptures from infancy. It's never too young, parents, to start teaching your kids the Bible. The earlier, the better. When we had our first child, when Cindy and I had our first child, we didn't know anything about kids. Like every other first parent doesn't know anything about kids. Went through pediatrician. We happened to stumble on a Christian pediatrician. And one of the first times we took uh, our son in for a well baby checkup, he said, he said you need to, to uh, play scripture songs for him. And he wrote on a uh, prescription pad, uh, so we thought we had to do it because the doctor wrote on prescription pad, <laughs> the name of some cassettes. If you're under 25, somebody sitting next to you under 25, turn and tell them what a cassette is. The name of cassettes that we were supposed to play for our newborn, and they were scripture songs. And man, that that was a a great lesson for us to begin, as this verse says, from infancy to teach them the Word of God. Uh, If you're a parent, we have a resource on our church website called Train Up. It doesn't begin at infancy, but it begins at age three. As you start back to school in a few weeks, there's a great school goal. Teach your kids the Word. And on that, in Train Up, there is an age-graded lesson one per year, one spiritual truth, one scriptural truth per year to teach your kids age three, age four, all the way up to grade 12. I encourage you parents to, to, to make that a goal this year that you'll teach your kids from, uh, from almost infancy the Word of God. And so Timothy had been exposed to, had been saturated in the scriptures. And it says here, which in verse 15 still, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the primary purpose of the Bible is to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Uh, so, so we're going to talk for a moment how, in a moment about how this book gives you specific guidance after you become a Christian, how you're to live. But I want you to know that's not the main purpose of the Bible. We're going to talk about that, but before that, the primary purpose of the Bible is not an owner's manual or a guidebook. The primary purpose of the Bible is to introduce you to a person, the living Lord Jesus, and that through him you are saved if you will put faith in Jesus. Let me read it to you again in verse 15. It says, And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. God gave us this book, first of all, to reveal Jesus to you, that you'd know the way of salvation, that if you put your faith in Him, you'll be wise for salvation. So this book gives you wisdom about how to live life. It gives specific guidance we're going to look at in a moment. That's not the main purpose. It's to introduce you to Jesus. The next verse, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. Now here's what, why this is our authority, what sets it apart from all other books. All Scripture is inspired or literally God-breathed. Right now I'm forming words by forcing breath over my vocal cords. Words come by breath. Well, the breath of God wrote this book. Oh, it came through human personality. Every book's a little different. Luke's different from Paul. He works through people, so it's got a human stamp to it, but it is the Word of God. It is God-breathed. Other books may be inspiring. This book is inspired. It sets it apart from all other books. No other book is like this because Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. Interestingly, the word Scripture, he, you can look it up in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul uses that word of Old Testament and New Testament books. He quotes from Deuteronomy and from Luke 
and talks, calls them scriptures. This is referring to the Old and New Testaments. All scripture is God-breathed. And so it is, you see that next word, useful or profitable. I know you don't have the, the screen. We don't have our slides have gone dead, so you're just going to have to listen or follow in your Bible here with me. So all scripture is useful or profitable. See, God loves you, and he's given you a good gift in the Bible. He, he wants to help you. He wants to profit you and help you to live your life. And so he gave us this book, and it is useful or valuable or profitable. And then in verse 16, he tells us four ways that this book is useful. So here are four things that you ought to let the Bible do in your life as a Christian, okay? Now, there, in these four words fall into two pairs. The first two deal with what you ought to believe. The second two about how you ought to behave. So the Bible's going to help you know what to believe and help you know how to behave. There's a positive and a negative in each of these. Positive and a negative about what to believe. Positive and negative about how to behave. So let's go through these four. First of all, allow the Bible to teach you. That's the first word, teach you what to believe. This refers to doctrine. And so the Bible's going to teach you what's true about our world and God and humanity. And you ought to allow it to teach you. But then second, to rebuke your wrong beliefs. The Bible is to, is to straighten you out, alter where you are, are thinking wrong. Okay? Will you let the Bible do that? And then the next two words relate to your behavior. And it says, uh, after teach and rebuke, the next word is correct. So it is to correct your wrong behavior. And then the fourth word is train. It trains you in righteous behavior. So as a Christian, what you're going to do as you confess Christ and begin to live the Christian life, you let this book teach you what you believe, rebuke where you get off track, correct where you get off in your behavior, and train you in some good habits of how to live. Okay? And maybe you've gotten some wrong ideas about, about God. Maybe somebody's told you everybody's going to heaven. Oh, everybody's going to heaven. Whoa, but the Bible then rebukes that, and, and it straightens out that wrong idea, and you let this book be the authority of your life. You stand under the Word of God as a Christian, and they let it teach you, rebuke you, correct you, and train you. Okay? Let me illustrate what that means uh, a little bit. The Bible is going to trump all other sources of authority in your life. You know the word trump? Now, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. Let's just get away from politics here. It's not what we're talking about. But to trump means to outrank uh, I, I grew up, uh, Cindy and I grew up playing Rook. Uh, I think there are trumps in Bridge as well, but I'm not sophisticated enough to play Bridge. But I've played Rook. So I want to try to drill this home. i got a deck of Rook cards right here. And uh, I'm looking on the, uh, near the front for somebody who knows how to play Rook. and It'll help me with the demonstration. Somebody near the front, John? Okay. John Bell, if you don't mind, you can just sit there. You're fine. I'm going to deal you... Ten cards off the top of this. 
three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And you can go ahead and look at those. I know we wouldn't deal them off the top, but I don't have time, and I've got those for the ones I want him to have. And so, uh, <laughs> and so if we were playing, John and I were playing Rook. John's shooting the moon. So John, if uh, John would, uh, if he gets the bid, he would call trumps. And there are four colors in a deck of rook cards. There's yellow, green, red, and black. And if you get the bid, you have the privilege of calling trumps. And that means that the color you select as trumps will uh, outrank, will beat any other color. Okay? So, uh, John, if you had that, dealt that hand, what color would you call trumps? He would call red trumps if he had that hand because that's all he has in his hand is red cards. And so that's a wise, that's a, that's a wise decision. And so if red is trumps, it outranks everything else. So if I play the yellow one, we're going to play where, I don't know how you play, we're going to play where ones are high, okay? Some people play differently. Ones are high, so that's the highest card of each color. And so the one of yellow is a high card. I'm going to let this represent my feelings, okay? Some of us, the authority of in our lives are our feelings, and we live according to the way we feel, our emotions. Well, I just feel like I, I, God would want me to do this. I, I feel like this is the best course for me. I, I, I feel like I'll be happier if I do this. And so we live by our emotions or our feelings. Uh, so, John, if I play that uh, yellow one, what are you going to play on it? Hold that one. Let's play one more. If you'll wait on that one, there you go. So he's going he's gonna to play a, a, an 11, a red 11, and that trumps my feelings. So here's as a Christian, what you do, you're going to allow the Bible to trump your feelings. You may feel this is the right way, but if the Bible says something else, then it's going to trump your feelings, right? We're gonna let, uh, I'm going to play another card, and it's the green one, and I'm going to let this represent uh, my family. My family. That's a pretty important factor in how we live, isn't it? Boy, mama, you know, you don't mess with mama, right? You know? And, and, and it's hard to go against mama, right? But as Christians, the Bible's going to outrank mama. What are you going to play on the green one, John? Anything but the rook. Just play anything but the rook. He's going to play the, the red nine. And so the, that red, even though it's a lower number, but it's, it outranks every high card. So you see, my family even, the Bible trumps my family. Even if mama said, even if mama said that uh, uh, some denominations don't go to heaven, whoa, but the Bible outranks what mama says. We've got to submit our family. Maybe my family growing up said, you don't really have to go to church. You just be good, treat your neighbor right, and that'll be all that you need. And you believe that because mama's a powerful influence in your life, and you need to always respect your mama. No matter what she says that's wrong, you're going to honor your parents and give respect to them. But when it comes to how you live, then sometimes you're going to have to let the Bible even trump mama or family or your family tradition or the, the cult that you came from or whatever it was, and that's tough to do. But we're under the authority of the Bible. Next card I'm going to play is the black one. What are you going to play on it, John? So John plays the, the red 13. And see so that red trumps my black one. We're going to let that represent my intellect. Some of us, the authority of our lives are our brains, with our rationale. 
It's got to be rational. Now, I believe the Bible is totally rational. I believe in the end that we'll come to see in heaven that this is the ultimate coherence, that it conforms to reality, that this book is truth. So there's no conflict between intellect and the Bible, but sometimes it's going to seem to me in my puny little brain like this doesn't make sense to me. You see, I don't understand all about the Trinity, but I submit that that is the reality of God because the Bible reveals that. I don't understand how election, divine sovereignty, and human free will and responsibility fit together. But the Bible says they're there, and the Bible trumps my puny intellect, my brain. And so, so I'm going to submit even when I don't understand to the Word of God. We can do one more. We can keep going. We can do one more. I'm going to play the red one. I've got a red car, and this is the highest of the red car. And so I'm going to play that, and I'm going to let it represent the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because how can you argue with that, right? Because somebody says, well, God told me to. The Spirit told me to do this. The Holy Spirit's within us. How, how could you argue with that? But, oh, there's something that trumps even that. What are you going to play now, John? John is going to play the rook. There's a card called the rook. It's got a crow on it because that's what a rook is, a type of bird. And it becomes the color of trumps, and it's the highest card, and it takes all other cards. It trumps everything else, and the Bible is the rook card. And even the leadership of the Holy Spirit in my life must submit to the authority of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is a subject of authority, but I could get that wrong. You know somebody who said the Spirit told me when you're not really sure if the Spirit told them or not? But the objective authority is the Bible, and so the Bible says, test every spirit. Test the spirits, the Bible says. Even what somebody says is from God or the Holy Spirit is trumped by the Bible. Thank you, John, for helping me, helping me uh, play. Do you get the idea here? Are you willing to let the Bible trump every feeling, every thought, every tradition in your family? Every idea that you have that you're going to stand under the Bible. Well, let's, let's apply that and, and see if we are. I want to give you one specific example of how that's going to work. And let's apply it in the area of human sexuality and marriage. Because there's an area where today evil men are going from bad to worse and you therefore must continue in what you have been taught, how you've known from infancy the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation so let's apply that there that we're going to submit as Christians to the authority of the Bible now we can't expect non-Christians to necessarily submit to the authority of the Bible can we they don't know Christ the first purpose of the Bible is to introduce us to Christ we would hope they do but if they don't, we can't get mad at culture when they don't submit to the authority of the Bible in the matter of sexuality and, and marriage. Uh, we're going to love them. We're not going to be mad at them. We're going to show compassion to them. We're going to introduce Jesus to them. So we don't get mad at people who deviate from us. But when it comes to us, then we're going to stand under the authority of the Bible and allow it to trump us. So let me read to you. Just a few verses on this subject. 
Matthew chapter 19. These are the words of Jesus, verse 4 and 5. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. He's quoting from Genesis. And said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So others may go from bad to worse, and we can't control that. We're not mad at them. We're going to love them and, and, and seek to share Jesus with them. But when it comes to us, when the world is saying you can choose your gender, but we're going to follow the Bible, which says it's a sovereign gift of God. From the beginning, God made them male and female. And others are going to de define marriage in all different kind of ways. But we're going to follow, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then later on in that same passage, he said um, in verse 9, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The rest of the world is not following that, but we as Christians are under the authority of the Word of God, and it trumps our feelings, and it trumps our rationale, and it trumps what mama says about marriage and divorce. And the Bible says that that's for Christians who are followers of Jesus, that marriage has become unbreakable unless that other person has broken it already by infidelity, that we're going to stay together. And that's how we're going to live because we're under the authority of the Bible. Read to you one more verse on this subject in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So, as Christians, we're under the authority of the Bible. It trumps every other uh, thing in our culture. And other people, the common thing now is for people to live together before they get married. And even a lot of Christians are doing that because it's so common. We're not getting this, that what Paul says to Timothy, evil men are going to go from bad to worse, but as for you, continue what you have learned. And he said, you're going to have to let the Bible trump the culture around you. And you're not going to begin your life together like everybody else is doing it, but that you're going to keep yourselves until marriage and you're not going to live together and you're going to keep the marriage bed undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral. So that means you're not going to, um, that you're not going to hook up with people before marriage. It means you're not going to live together. It means you're not going to have an affair after marriage. You're going to preserve that marriage bed and keep that undefiled. And that's how we're going to live because we stand under the authority of the Bible. Now that's just one example of that, but I don't think we as Christians are taking that seriously in our Christian discipleship. And we're, we're allowing, following other sources of authority rather than the Word of God. Now, I want to share with you uh, quickly the argument from those who would undermine the authority of the Bible and and, and uh, seek to critique it because you need to be ready to deal with those arguments. And so one of them is that people would say, yeah, but you Christians say the Bible says this and we got to do that, but it also says other things that you're not doing. And so they'll compare. Let me show you an example. And the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That's detestable. So the Bible says homosexuality, homosexual behavior 
is detestable to God. It's wrong. We're not to engage in homosexual behavior. Now, the critics of biblical authority and those who wish to undermine that as a source of authority for our lives would say, yeah, Leviticus 18.22 says that, but Leviticus 19.19 says do not plant your field with two kinds of seed and do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. And so they would say, you keep the, the former, but you don't keep the latter. And that's true. We don't. It's okay if you got on a cotton polyester blend today. It's okay. <laughs> we don't believe that that is uh, uh, required of you. Or if you planted corn and beans in the same row in your garden, that, that, that's okay. So they're going to say, ah, you're inconsistent, so we can't consider the other because you don't keep that. And we, we would say there are two types of commands in Leviticus. There are moral and there are ritual. The ritual has passed away. The moral stands. But we don't make that arbitrarily. The reason we know that is the moral command that I read to you from Leviticus 18 is repeated and reinforced in the New Testament. And that ritual command is not. And it says that Christ fulfilled those laws. So if we only had that in Leviticus, that verse about homosexual behavior, then you might can make that argument. But in Romans 1, in 1 Corinthians 6, it reaffirms that. So in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, earlier in this letter, Paul said, do your best to be a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or correctly interpreting the Word of God. So yes, the Bible is an old book. It's a collection of books, and we must rightly divide it. It has to be interpreted correctly. You have to understand what is cultural and what is timeless. But it is clear that those things that I read to you are timeless and are repeated in the New Testament. And not only we're not only in this for the negative commands of don't do this, don't do that, but the bigger teaching of Scripture is the positive thing that I read to you of God's original will plan that states out for human sexuality clearly what his positive plan is. There will be those who seek to undermine the authority of the Bible by trying to point to you, I am saying, inconsistencies are parts of commands from the Bible that are culturally based and no longer apply. And you're going to have to come to the point where you say, if, am I saying that Jesus is Lord of my life? And if I am making that confession, which is what it means to be a Christian, then this book, God-breathed Scripture, even when I don't understand it all, I'm going to stand under it all because it trumps every other source of authority in my life. It is the God-breathed Word of God. And if we're going to make a difference in our culture, we Christians are going to have to be willing to show a distinctiveness that comes from loyalty and fidelity to the Word of God in every area of our life. Now let me circle back to the beginning. I believe the Bible has specific things that we as Christians are to submit to, but that is not the primary purpose. The primary purpose of the Bible is not to tell you what's wrong, what's right, make you good, make you better. The primary purpose of the Bible is to show you that you're a sinner. And even if you're an adulterer, even if you have engaged in homosexual behavior, even if you have done any other thing the Bible commands, you can be forgiven and God loves you and you can have a fresh start today and if you'll confess your sin wherever you are right now, it does not matter. And if you'll put your faith in Jesus Christ and accept his cleansing by the blood of Jesus and allow him to come into your life and say he is Lord 
and you'll begin to follow him, he will save you and he will forgive you and he'll begin to transform you. Last verse of 2 Timothy 3 says that the person of God may be completely equipped, thoroughly equipped, ready for any good work. God wants to save you and then he wants to equip you or outfit you for living the Christian life. If you're a believer, would you say with me today, I believe this book's the word of God. I believe being a Christian is a follower of Jesus. And this is Jesus' book, and I'll be a person of the book, and I'll let it trump every other authority in my life and follow Jesus. And if you're not yet a believer, would you see that this is God's love letter to you to say, I love you, I want a relationship with you, even though you've disobeyed me, I love you just the way you are. I care greatly about you, God says. And I want to heal you, want to help you, want to make you whole. You can begin right where you are. If you'll put your faith in him. Would you bow with me in a moment of prayer? If it's your desire to enter into a relationship with Jesus, if you believe the message of this book, would you say right now, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I want you to be my Savior. I will acknowledge you as Lord and seek to begin to follow you by the help of your Holy Spirit. Amen. If you would do that right now, he'd come into your life. And if, So that prayer is your desire. I'm going to ask you when we stand and sing to walk forward and meet me here as a way of saying, I'm following Jesus. You can be baptized next week at our outdoor baptism or wait till next month, but today would you come and make that confession in Christ. Stand together with me. In the same way, you come if, if you need to join this church. If you want a church home, we'd welcome you. This is your chance to respond.